evening. So, questions? Yes. That um, verse you did just now in Kirtan, what? Well, that's a song, yeah. Um, it's uh, the, the refrain is Natre Amarmon, Natre Amarmon, Natre Amarmon. Amar means mine, my, mon means mine, Amarmon, Natre. Dance in my mind, dance in my mind. Anitai Chaitanya Bole, Natre Amarmon. Sing the names of Gornitai and then may they dance in my mind. Sheshe Vrindavan, Radesham, Pavito. And in the end, you will attain the darshan of Radha and Krishna in Vrindavan. Gornitananda Kinjaya. There are more lines to it, but I think it's Bhakti Vinod's. Bhakti Vinod Kinjaya. We'll learn it. It's a nice song. Yeah. What else? Maharaj, welcome. Good evening. Ashram Maharaj Kinjaya. Um, you talk a lot about, or you mentioned ego effacement, and I was wondering if you could kind of talk about that in different ways, like does it look differently for a monastic and a grihasta, and um, I mean other than, okay, we're not the, this body-mind complex, and so our Right. Well, the the, the 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 goal is the same. The um, the um, task is the same to deconstruct the um, ahankar. In this case, meanings aham means I, kar means like make to make the eye maker. Mm. So there's a certain uh, identification with sense objects from a certain vantage point that's created a sense of I that is that's that's false. I often say the I is derived from our sense of my and actually nothing is mine. So the I that derives from that is uh, unstable, hmm? unreal. Hmm? And so if you want to deconstruct the I, you got to deconstruct the my, hmm? right? Um, and at any rate, that task is the same for, um, re- regardless of which um, approach uh, to bhakti we embark upon. For example, as you bring up as a monastic or as a householder, another song Bhakti Vinod says, Grihetako, Bane Tako, Bane Haribole Dako. So whether you taco, whether you live, in the griha, in the house, or bane taco, whether you live in a forest, which is a way of referring to the to the uh, renunciate, the monastic, then chant the names of Krishna. Griha taco bane sada always sada hari bole taco. So, um, as much as uh, so, so the task is the same. However. That said, while the chanting is there, and this is central to the uh, practice, and that's, um, there's a common sense to that, uh, besides any esoteric significance, 
um, with regard to kirtan, uh, the quality of time we're said to live in Kali Yuga, the efficacy of sound at, 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 at such time in particular, the, the, uh, the theology, the dharma of the name, and all that could be um, drawn out from that, esoterically uh, speaking. Um, it's uh, also in a, from a kind of a practical side, uh, true, or it holds that the ear, sense of hearing, and the sense of and the, and the vibrating aspect of our tactile, uh, well, our, our tongue—it's not a—it can taste and it can vibrate. So, with regard to its capacity to vibrate and the ear to hear, these these two senses—they are very much in control of the ex, other external and internal uh, senses. What you talk about is what you what you'll think about what you hear about, what you'll think about. Um, so, so the kirtan captures the, the ear and the, and the tongue, the ear and the, yeah, the voice and the, and the, uh, and the hearing, hmm? which, of course, in between lies the mind. <laughs> it's in between <laughs> there. So it's a simple way of, of saying it, but it's, 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 uh, it's true. It's, it's very much controlled. By what we hear and um, what we say, and especially if we hear ourselves speaking about Krishna consciousness, and we start to think about it, <laughs> I'm saying this myself to somebody else. I should be thinking about it and doing it and putting it in practice. And it's very, it's very um, readily experienceable. Uh, readily, it's easily easy to experience that if you preoccupy yourself with speaking. Um, about Krishna, not with the false pride of regurgitating some dogma, but with a view to to share, or with with an enthusiasm that requires sharing and expressing that it, that it, that it can be taken advantage of. The very kind of central, of, incidentally, um, from an emotive point of view, um, is the, the overarching, I should say, uh, emotive feature. Of rasa is adbuta or a, a, a wonder and amazement. Um, so it's there's a there's in the yoga perspective there's a controlling of the mind that is calming calming and brings peace and so forth. In bhakti we bring the the controller of the mind and all things we try to bring him within our mind which effectively controls the mind, but it causes not a peace, but a, but a, an amazement that I can't, it, it, it's, well, it's, um, you know, mind-blowing, let's say. <laughs> rasa is, is, is the difference between bhakti rasa and yoga samadhi is one is mind, one mind-calming and uh, mind-stilling, and the other is mind-blowing. Mind <laughs> <laughs> Which is a, a you know which is beyond the stilling of, of the mind, and so there's just an there's an emotive uh, there are emotive experiences that are um, um, uh, uh, I don't want to say um, uh, um, derived from the attempt to bring Vishnu Krishna within the mind, so to speak. 
that transcend the manas, the seat within the subtle body of, of desire and emotion. Hmm? You have this fourfold division of the subtle body. You have the identity, which we're talking about, the hunkar. You have manas, which is the seat of desire. You have um, uh, buddhi, the um, um, intention hmm? and uh, discriminating kind of uh, um, faculty and uh, chitta awareness. So, you know, if, 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 for example, there's a sound and you become aware of it, chitta, I'm aware of this a sound. By buddhi, we discriminate what is the nature of the sound. It's a flute, hmm? for example. And then the manas aspect of the subtle body makes a determination, I like the flute, hmm? or I don't like the flute, sankalpa vikalpa. Hmm? And all of this is uh, arising out of a particular identity, right? An ego, a sense of ego. Ego means identity. Uh, so when all this subtle body, which I refer to as kind of quasi-subjective for two reasons. One, because it's preoccupied with the objective world, so it's not purely subjective. It's my, my perspective on that. And also because... Its power to be to function um, subjectively and um, be the, the the seat of qualitative experiences, happy, sad, red, blue, and so forth, is derived from the consciousness itself, the atma. That's why I've said before, if the atma, by proximity, if you will, to uh, subtle matter, can bring about the entirety of our emotional life, materially speaking, then it must have the capacity for emotions unto itself, uninhibited by the limitations of the mind and the body. And that's the whole idea of bhakti rasa, because then the self becomes in, 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 in union with its source, hmm? which is, you know, which is uh, a living, yeah, emotive hmm, uh, reality without the problems of um, emotion and so forth in this world. So that's the world of Bhakti Rasa. So anyway, it's, it's this uh, Bhakti Rasa is a mind-blowing kind of uh, experience. But uh, we drifted into that a little bit. But the, um, but the, uh, the, the task of, uh, of deconstructing the ego, the material ego, is the same for the householder or for or for the monastic, and there are and outside of bhakti, there are other traditions that I, as you as you attest, I uh, often refer to as also being ego uh, facing. They have this as their goal. Um, the Buddha, for example, uh, uh, has a, a no self kind of. Philosophy. If you look carefully at the Pali Canon, however, you can make a case, and others have, for the idea that the Buddha's position on no self was not really an ontological position, but it was a kind of a pragmatic position that he took. A pragmatic position as a strategy to help people overcome the suffering that that egoic identification brought about. So his 
uh, from that point of view, then uh, the um, the uh, emphasis on no self is like a interim kind of a, uh, focus. Say it's the whole focus, but it's not. And if you put your whole focus there, it deconstructs through you know the method of the Buddha, let's say. And then, um, then the question: Is there a self that that is real, so to speak? It's not that he didn't want to talk about. Hmm? But again, there's an argument that he uh, from the Pali Canon that he that he didn't because he was just setting the focus there. And having deconstructed the ego, then what lies beyond that um, would become would, would become known. But talking about it would become maybe more um, confusing than not. Something like that. So there's a case to be made for that. Um, in uh, you know, to one extent or another, in all the ego-effacing traditions, uh, that uh, beyond the, the false ego, as we sometimes refer to it, or the material ego of identification, is there an identity? Is there any? Is and we would say, in, in a very uh, um, pronounced way, yes. And we have a very robust sense, as I sometimes say, of of the atma that is. Uh, that is, everyone agrees amongst these traditions face the ego, but how robust is the real ego, or is it provisional, or is it, is it one big ego, one big self, Brahman, is it, for example? Uh, that's the near different uh, nuanced um, perspectives. Um, but, you know, let's take, for example, let's take the Buddha, you know, so the Buddha emphasizes no self. And so let's say someone takes that as a as an ontological position, there's no self. There's nothing beyond. Uh, he, 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 Buddha posits a physical matter and a, and a psychic matter, and the uh, the uh, the idea is to is to deconstruct one's identification through uh, through psychic matter all altogether, and end suffering. Hmm? Nirvana literally means to like blow out, to extinguish. So it's an ex- it's an extinguishing of suffering that's derived from thirsting or after or desiring desiring things. Um, um, it's uh, well, it's a little attractive sometimes in a materialistic um, world. Because it doesn't posit something supernatural, hmm? but because a lot of modern thinking equates mind with brain, hmm? and Buddhism doesn't, therefore it's sometimes often dismissed as well hmm? that there's a mind, that there are psychic dimensions, and gods and goddesses in that realm, and 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 so forth. Um, so, but and, and anyway. Um, uh, yeah, what is the point? So the Buddha wants to. Uh, um, um, he, he has a, a strategy for effacing the ego, um, and all the again ego-effacing traditions uh, do. Um, 
but if we were to take so so you know in one sense within mysticism we're at odds with buddhism he's got a the least if at all robust sense of a real self or an ontological um uh, category hmm? distinct from gross matter physical matter and subtle matter called atma called consciousness hmm? Typically in Buddhism, you know, consciousness is, is also a temporary thing. It's a consciousness of, 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 of red turns to consciousness of blue, turns to consciousness of yellow. If you're looking at a blue, red, and yellow thing, so it's, it's flickering. So it's to extinguish the whole. It's, it's really kind of um, nihilistic. Now, modern Buddhists, they really don't like that term, obviously, and they try to couch it differently and be a bodhisattva forever, you know, which is telling, you know, this attract the Western interest in Buddhism often uh, drifts towards the bodhisattva idea where there's love of some form, compassion, it goes on forever, I'll stay in the world until all... Every everyone is attains nirvana, which is you know that'll never end, and and so forth, and so you don't ever get extinguished, <laughs> so to speak. But 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 if you want to take the, the the Buddha, who says, for example, if you want to interpret him this way, there's there's no self whatsoever at all. There's no consciousness. It's independent of mind and body. No no substance. No supernatural stuff, if you will, um, uh, then you have to, you know, compare notes with Shankar, or, for example, but posits there is something called consciousness, or compare notes with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? Compare notes. And, you know, you can't dismiss the mysticism and the inner exp- experience for example, of Shankar or of Ramanuja or Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, hmm? which it would seem from a particular common interpretation of Buddhism, uh, you would have to dismiss because we, you know, we are uh, Vedantins, we are uh, um, desirous of Ananda. We say the whole world is driven in pursuit of Ananda. Hmm? Just mis- misplaced pursuit. The Ananda lies within the self and then within the source, and so it's all about Ananda. Well, this, from a common interpretation of Buddhism, is just like that's not a. That's the whole problem. You're looking for happiness, you know. That's part. That's the cause of your distress. And we say that too, right, on a lower uh, level. So you can really see how again Buddhism is kind of like a, like. Uh, in many respects, its 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 concepts are included within something like Vaishnavism, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and but there's then some further nuance that's uh, it's played out. And if you want to compare notes, you can't. How could the experience of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the experience of Ramanuja, let's compare notes with the Buddha? You know, okay, they're both mystic. They're both they're both exhibiting externally similar symptoms of of control of the human passions and of course Buddha's sitting and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's dancing. That's another, you know, thing to consider. But um, in either case, um, 
Um, he was pursuing Ananda, and he shouldn't have got it. <laughs> or according to one interpretation of Buddhism, so you kind of have to look at another interpretation of Buddhism then to make it all make, make sense, if you will. Hmm? Otherwise, you have to dismiss all the Vedantins and uh, and, uh, and so forth. So, at any rate, um, our the task is, is is the same. The the but the um, um, the approach to accomplishing it will be slightly nuanced uh, when we look at the householder's approach and the monastic's approach, but both have to do. So, for example, the householder has to um, have, is part of a family to get together, let's say, for example, as a unit to make it in the world, right? Strengthen in, in numbers, <laughs> uh, kind of uh, perspective. And, um, you know, we could have a third or a fourth, too, uh, in the form of children and, and so on. But it's basically the, 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 the coupling of people is uh, basically um, a result of, of feeling somewhat emotionally un, unwhole, right? And then complementing one another and becoming emotionally whole, I mean, has something to do with, with, with that. Um, again, not that I'm completely emotionally empty. i got to find a partner. That's not a good way to go about it. But, but it, um, they do... Um, nourish one another, right? Um, and so, from a sadhaka's point of view, who's a householder, he or she has to think that my ideal is very high, vertically, like the great skyscraper. In order to rise that high, I need some type of uh, foundation, vertical development. So, I, in order to be peaceful enough and whole enough. You know, there's an, there's an argument, for example, if you're starving, it might be hard to meditate. If I, you know, go to the starving people in, in some uh, area and I try to teach them about meditation, <laughs> it's going to be probably not very well um, received, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to feed them, nourish them, get them healthy. So similarly, Emotionally, uh, some people uh, require um, uh, pe- different people require different things. We all require it. <laughs> different people require different things. So putting those things in place is with a view to touch the stars, if you will, is like building a horizontal foundation for the vertical building that you want to rise up. And so if a person sees that um, that I need a wife or I need a husband, I need a partner, and I need children in order to feel whole hmm, so that I can be in a, in, a, in a better position to pursue that which will directly bring about vertical uh, spiritual growth, then in, in, in that situation, then all of the things, the wife, the husband, uh, the partner, the, the children, all become parts of what 
of my sadhana, they almost become almost become sangha siddha bhakti. They become things that I need. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna perform a fire sacrifice, for example, I need wood. So I go get wood. If I'm going to make a sacrifice for the satisfaction of Vishnu, which we don't do in this age, but at any rate, previous times that was uh, the case. So the, the sacrifice for Vishnu is all about, you know, putting something in the fire, whatever ghee in the fire, let's say, which is symbolic of putting yourself in the in the fire and dissolving your your ego. But um, it's a ritualistic way of saying that and, and accomplishing that. Um, and, but in order to do that, and ghee is wealth. So just for your information, <laughs> ghee is wealth. Um, in an agrarian culture, ghee is like, the, you know, this is the cream of the cream, cream de la creme, you know, of, <laughs> of, of the milk. Um, very rich and uh, nutritious and delicious. And, uh, and then the bottom line, you know, we need to eat to, to live, right? So... Uh, like Dulal was saying, you know, it's good to have land. He was, we were talking the other day, you know, when it all comes down to it, if you got some land, well, you're all right, right? Um, so it's a good uh, investment. It's, 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 it's real estate. Hmm? You know, you can say that, that, that the digital, what do they call it, the fiat currency is real because it's backed by the government, but the government, what's there? Are they backed by, or, or you know... Have they got your back? You know, <laughs> it's questionable. Uh, so, um, so real goods, real real estate. So anyway, so they put the fire, the 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 wealth. It's like, if, in the words, it's like saying, okay, we're going to do a fire sacrifice. Um, can you all go to the bank and make it, you know, to the ATM and and get withdraw some money because we we need, we're going to have a fire sacrifice. You know that oh, it's, that means it's a sacrifice if you feel like that, right? So you're gonna have to give. So there's this, some, some like Mother Teresa said, if you don't feel the pinch, then you're not really giving. So, 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 you know, just to put it in perspective, because our times are different and so forth, and you got some ghee in the counter, and you put it in the fire, you know, okay. But that's what it was all about, right? It was the wealth. People would give the wealth, the extension of their very self. Hmm? There's myself, and there's the extension of myself, and what I own. My so I'm gonna put that in there, and I, I start to deconstruct myself. Hmm? Um, and so, you know, anyway, the point being, in order to do that, to pour the ghee in the fire and say the mantra, you need the wood for the fire. So you have to go and collect the wood. So by the collecting of the wood, isn't a, a sacrifice for Vishnu, for example, but it's associated with that and by association it becomes part of the sacrifice you know, we call it sangha siddha bhakti so by association um, sangha something becomes bhakti which isn't inherently so so getting married isn't inherently bhakti for example having kids it's not inherently bhakti it may be the dharmic thing to do if you get together with somebody as Krishna says Kamusmi Bharatarshava. That uh, that uh, sense of need for intimacy amongst humans says, I am that. Kamusmi Bharatarshava. Um, um, and
and uh, you know typically it it it, uh, it has a uh, well it has a number of outcomes depending on <laughs> depending on the number of factors but but at any rate um, the point I'm making is that one the grihasta the household has to see the wife the husband the partner the the, the children all these things as something like sangasiddha you know by association they're required in order for me to go up and then that then they don't become impediments they're seen in perspective if if on the other hand they take precedence over and get in the way even of one's bhakti and one's participation then you know then you're not doing what bhakti vinotakra said grihetako vanetako Sada Hadi Bolidaka. Sada means always Hadi Bolidaka to chant, which means to be that, that that there's a center to your life as a sadhak, as a practitioner, and that's what it is. It's the sadhana, and everything is orbiting around it. So there's a way in which the whole householder life can orbit around it, just like more apparently, hmm, a monk's life is all orbiting around sadhana. It's more apparent. Because he or she doesn't have a, a family to raise, doesn't go to work to get a job. Not that they don't work in the ashram, chop wood, carry water. You know, there's uh, there's plenty to do, right? Um, um, but um, he's in he or she's in the ashram, and uh, and uh, more directly, so to speak, uh, um, uh, attacking. If you will, the uh, the um, the task of deconstructing the ego, which in either case, household or or uh, monk monastic, is also uh, a while it's important and it's an interim goal, if you will, it's also in another sense a byproduct of having one's uh, mind fixed on a goal that, that, that transcends it. And as much as some transcendental systems end with effacing the ego, ours doesn't, because it, it involves this robust sense of self that can have an emotional relationship, rasa, with the absolute. Hmm? Right? I mean, this is Gita says that, that the self is amazing. It's a way of saying that it, it has a potential as an as a as a entity that is of the nature as a nature that lends itself to nourish to, to nourishment so it can be nourished by the internal shakti of bhagavan and have a relationship and this is the full idea of what the gita says in the conclusion of the section in the second chapter where krishna begins to speak to arjuna and he speaks about the nature of the self self doesn't die doesn't kill anybody can't be killed, and so he goes into all that, right? Arjuna is arguing from a dharmic kind of karma perspective, and Krishna takes it to a jnana perspective. Well, you know, look, you're not this body, and so forth. But he ends that section by saying, "As charge of what I forget, the, but soul is amazing. Some people say it's amazing. Some people hear it's amazing. Some people experience it. It's amazing. So the full implication of that as charge of what is the adbut." That is, uh, that is the ch- chamatkar, same idea, chamatkar, the wonder, the amazement that is uh, uh, central to rasa, right? As I said in the beginning, that you can't fit 
it's exploding. Uh, it's, it's celebratory and it, its nature can't be can't be contained. Hmm? Blossoming and blooming and blooming and blossoming again and fruiting and again and again, uh, such is the nature of the bhakti rasa. Uh, and this is for this is for the, for the absolute himself. He's not bored up there. It's ever new, ever fresh, and to see him is like I've never seen him before. Every time, this kind of thing. So, the beatific uh, vision, right? Hmm. Keep your attention. So the self has this. This is the full idea of the statement that are in the Gita, right? Hmm? Because it has this capacity to be nurtured. I mean, it's amazing anyway, even without bhakti rasa. But you want know, to take it to the full measure huh, of the verse. Then you, you, you know you come to that. Um, so uh, so the the way then you know ultimately we deconstruct the ego. We have to consider what is it, what what is its driving force? What's like? How would you characterize this material ego, this material uh, uh, identity? It's a taking identity, right? It's it, it 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 has it's identity that has a that gives one a certain perspective on the world, and the the perspective is, I better get going here, or somebody's going to eat me. <laughs> somebody's going to eat me. <laughs> I've got to get going. And the Bhagavatam says, Jivo Jivasijivanam, one living being is food for another. That's the way the world works. Hmm? Whoa. So, that's uh, a little uh, fright, frightening. Just one sec. You had a question, right? Yeah, yeah just one sec. Just one sec. Yeah. So, a little dis- disconcerting. One living being, food um, uh, for another. So, um, the, the ego is therefore a taker. He's trying to take, and someone's trying to take from him. So you take from the environment. There's only so much to be taken. So in, in a false kind of enjoyer, if you will, an enjoying kind of ego, which is then, you know, I enjoy the sense objects in a, for myself, and that's kind of intoxicating. So. The converse of that, all these, this bhakti rasa is all arising out of a serving ego. So, the best defense is good offense. So, if you want to take all of your karmic tendencies, all your false enjoying taking tendencies, and make make a big hole and throw them all in and cover it up, that would be one approach to deconstructing the ego. The other approach would be to do all that and build a temple on top of it and have a kirtan. You know, it's never going to come up again. <laughs> Something like that. So by developing the serving ego, hmm, and this is a well, you know, philosophically developed idea and so forth, uh, then you automatically the false enjoying ego is, is deconstructing it. So, you know, it's one thing if I say stop exploiting Someone could go with that if I say, and then you will get free. Right? Everybody wants freedom, so stop, stop taking, stop exploiting, and you'll become free. And it's attractive, but if I say to you, here's what we're proposing: slavery. What do you think? Would you like to join? Uh, not exactly. So, the there's a big difference hmm? between not taking and giving. Not taking takes no effort, 
giving takes some effort. It calls upon you for something. It, 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 uh, and as such, it's a more comprehensive way also of deconstructing and doing away with the false ego. It has much more power to it. Hmm? Therefore, therefore, bhakti, relative to your question, and I'll conclude with this and take Andrew's question, um, is, is powerful hmm, such that it can be fully practiced as a householder, as we began, whereas yoga sadhana, for example, as it's explained in this, in the, in the, uh, potentially yoga sutras, requires brahmacharya, celibacy. That's, whoa, just to get started, you got to do that, he says. Uh, when the Gita explains astanga yoga in the sixth chapter, same thing, point is brought up um, in your gyanmarg, also, gyan and the contemplative life is not the householder life. <laughs> you can't be a householder very easily and be a contemplative. Hmm? You got to get to work. You got to do something. You know, you got to be act- active and so forth. So, um, but bhakti is powerful enough to take all those activities that are distracting. The point being, and as I said, turn them into by a certain by changing your angle of vision things that are associated with my bhakti and um, therefore bhakti. Therefore, you can love your kids, love your wife, your husband, everything in the context of loving Krishna. But now that's easier said than done. So you have to look and see, am I doing that? or I'm sorry, yes, Andrew. Okay, um, so speaking from my direct experience and what is kind of known to be the case right now on the planet, Many are entering spontaneously into like a undifferentiated oneness, transcending their identification with the body mind. What um, would be the symptom of that? Well, uh, an absence of a sense of um, a separate identification, mm-hmm. uh, states of bliss, ecstasy, and lots of spontaneous things, kriyas, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes it comes energetically through like a kundalini type uh-huh. process. Um, but I'm just wondering how can, you know, because at that point, oftentimes, not always, but the, um, the state is so, uh, hmm. complete seemingly, you know, in its nature, uh, that the, the motivation to, to, do, to do anything else or to move forward in any sort of other pathway apart from some sort of maybe an integration of that and capacity to function in the world seems to disappear. So I'm just wondering, how can this be reconciled in the context of bhakti? Yeah, well, it depends on your, you know, your orientation. Um, what you're saying, if I understand it correctly, is that the experience that some people may get, Satori, or you know, like, well, what, it, is, it, is it's so something that's an experience, no. but it's an ongoing state. So apart from a spiritual experience, which may last for a duration mm-hmm. and then fall away, mm-hmm. this is something that is um, ongoing. It's not something that. You know, and oftentimes there's conflict. People lose their families because there's no reference point anymore. 
um, for them to interact on that level, unless they have a teacher or something like that which can guide them through the process. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not like with Satori, that would be something that was like a flash of insight or something that mm -hmm. would dissipate. Mm -hmm. This is more of a stable state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So, I'm, you know, I'm just looking to see within the context of bhakti how that could be, what that would be seen as, and how it could be reconciled with what. Yeah, it would be seen as uh, as atmananda. So there's a difference between ananda means bliss, right? So atmananda is one thing. Bhakti ananda is similar, but another thing at the same time. So. Um, uh, there is some uh, ananda inherent in a minute sense in the self, the atma. And so if one gets um, dislocated from the material orientation in a positive way and is experiencing atmananda, right? This is what you're talking about. Um, Yes, it's a very. It would be a very overwhelming uh, and uh, a state that uh, would appear, for all intents and purposes, purposes as a finality in itself and complete. It's a kind of knowing that, uh, if you will, chit that makes everything nothing else worth knowing, right? Um, it's a kind of peacefulness being that that in which one finds no necessity or, or urge to to be hmm? everyone's trying to be and, and and to exist and not be devoured right everyone is trying to know hmm? and everyone's trying to be happy without realizing you are happy you you are up the source of knowing, knowing lies within consciousness, not in matter, and you be, you you exist, you can't not exist. We're trying to be the things that we are. So what you're talking about, as I understand it, is is to is to is to come in touch with that reality that I am, that I know, and that I um, am by nature joyful and. And by being in touch with that, there's a, there's a total a, a, a sense of being fully accomplished. There's nothing more. To, there's nothing more to know. There could be things to know, but they but they they have no you have no impetus to know them even. There's it's it's a, so when you say you to know everything, it means in one sense to be fully happy because the only reason we acquire knowledge is to know how to act in such a way that we could be happy. So there's a finality in that, right? So within the schools, for example, of Gyan or yoga, you mentioned Kundalini and so forth. Uh, there's a state called Jivan Mukta. You may be familiar with the term. So it's a state in which someone like Ramana Maharshi, for example, uh, would be an example of, of that. Uh, uh, he was a, uh, a uh, let's say, in that state. Meanwhile, his karma. Hmm, the parabdha, the manifest karma that, that, that is already bearing fruit, is just playing itself out, and he, the, the mystic, is is watching that, observing that, hmm? and um, not plugging back in. And then what happens is when that karma expires, hmm, that's death. Hmm? That's what death is. 
and then that uh, reality it moves from what we call jivan mukta to videha mukta. So then, then you're, you're outside of the time space continuum and you're done, you know, so to speak. You're, that you're a mukta, right? With the, so, so, yeah, it's a very profound experience or reality. And where's the impetus to do anything else? like we're always talking about, <laughs> right? There's no impetus to get involved in the world or anything except maybe to, to teach about it, to share it, or or like you say, maybe with the help of a teacher to integrate this in such a way that I don't lose my family or, or whatever, I don't know. But um, um, I think that the, the answer to your question is, is answered uh, repeatedly in the uh, in the Bhagavatam, Srimad Bhagavatam, with uh, by way of invoking extraordinary examples, and the very question you ask is central to the entire tome of Srimad Bhagavatam. It comes in the seventh chapter of the first canto. Who knows what it is? Hmm? I did already. I gave you a hint. Narada Muni, no? Sukadev. What about him? Atmaramas chamunayo niyagrantapi urukrame. Right? So he was in this, it's called a state. It's called Atmaram. I said, I use the term bhakti, uh, what did I say? Uh, Atma Ananda. So Atmaram means the same thing. Ram here means enjoy, bliss, pleasure, Atmaram. So he was characterized as Atmaram. In other words, his, his joy lied only in himself, nothing else. And he was born that way. Hmm? He under, didn't undergo any samskars, any, any ritual, ritualistic uh, traditions and so forth. He just left into the forest. Sukadev, that's his name. And... And and so he had no impetus for. He was full. He was complete. He was a, he was a jivan mukta. It's said that he was in the womb a jivan mukta, and he wouldn't come out. Hmm? And so the the story goes that that he stayed in the womb for many years and became a problem, obviously, <laughs> for the parents. Hmm? Krishna was brought, and 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 promised the child in the womb come out, and I promise you. You will not be distracted by Maya, hmm? and so he came out, and then he went into the forest, and, and so forth. So there he was, and and he was the son of Vyas, the the proverbial legendary author and editor of all the sacred texts, right? Hmm? This is the story. This is very central to the whole of Hinduism, actually. And so, um, meanwhile, the father, Vyas. Hmm, he himself had composed uh, and edited and brought together all this Vedic wisdom, this the, the currents of of knowing that can be perceived by certain people that then would speak about it and it was recorded, right? This is called the Upanishads and Puranas and so forth. Different ways of talking about that underlying, you know, knowledge that's embedded in the world, just like. There's a there's a there's an argument in mathematics that you may be familiar with. Is mathematics something that um, what is the argument? 
that it is it discovered or is it inherent? Is it something that we discover as a language to describe things, or is it inherent in nature describing itself? Hmm? So there are many very well respected, and I think even the majority of mathematicians who think it's discovered by humans. There there are these codes of of in, we say this from a Vedic point of view that the Brahma. It's a way of talking about it, created the world through sound. These vibrations of sound mantras are a formula. They're like a mathematical or a sound formula. Knowledge is embedded in them, and through such, the world was uh, shaped. So it's, it's a big discussion. But, but at any rate, um, um, uh, Vyas compiled all of these sounds with the help of others and brought out the Puranas and so forth. And having done that, he was feeling that somehow he wasn't, his work wasn't complete. So Narada, his, his guru, appeared on the scene and said, yeah, it's not complete because you've talked about jnana, you've talked about karma, you've talked about yoga, you've talked about bhakti, but not in a way that, which is very subtle, to make it really clear to people. Hmm? And so, therefore, you need to compile a text that really comes out and and um, um, in no uncertain terms explains the nature of of bhakti, which can which can make karma fruitful, can make gyan fruitful. If there's no service, that's why you're here. You want you do like to do service, so some bhakti you want to do, because you understand that. Oh, that's important. So. I was writing about Madhusudan Saraswati earlier today, and, and he's a he's a Ganon, but he an Advaitin, but he's uh, very much um, a, a, a uh, embraced Bhakti at the same time, which, according to the sacred texts, is necessary in order to, a, to achieve the ultimate destination of Gyan. Anyway, so so Vyas was told then by Narad, so you're very qualified to sit in Samadhi. Hmm? And what comes from that, you write about that. That is the book called Srimad Bhagavatam. So part of the Bhagavatam text, philosophical, theological text, is some background history to it that's built into the written edition. So the, sto- the story is there, right? storyline is there in the text as well. And so when Vyasa's son was born, he left the forest, and you know he was a mystic and so forth. But meanwhile, Vyasa went and and did the meditation as he was advised, and he wrote this book called Srimad Bhagavatam. Mm-hmm. And then he was so like uh, uh, spiritually stimulated, if you will, by that, from stillness to movement coming out of his samadhi, that he wanted to share it with his 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 son, who was thinking or experiencing or whatever you want to call it that he was had attained complete you know completeness um, and so he took certain songs uh, verses from the Bhagavatam hmm? uh, and he gave them to a woodcutter who would go out in the forest and cut wood and bring it back for fire and told him when you're out there in the forest sing these songs hmm? Hmm? and his hope was that these were very these were empowered uh, songs, uh, verses from the Bhagavatam, that his son, being fully in the state that you talk about, not partially, but fully in it, hmm? completely, Atmaram, Atmaram Maschimunio, 
he was completely absorbed in that. That would mean he, he, that he was nirmal, his heart was pure, there was no other desire, there's no even room for any other desire. Um, and so on that kind of a canvas, hmm, if you put the bhakti, then bhakti doesn't have to do any pre, any, any, hmm? yeah, pre-cleansing, in other words, bhakti can go anywhere, so it can go into a dirty heart, and then it will clean out the heart, and then its positive side will manifest. But if it doesn't have to do the first part, huh, then it can very quickly come to bhakti rasa, for example. Hmm? What we're talking about. So, so sure enough, Sugadev heard the, the verses, and he had an epiphany hmm? that I am attracted to, I have no, no attraction, I'm Atmaram to anything. Hmm? Uh, you know, I don't need to turn on the radio, you know, <laughs> you know or, or put in a CD or MP3 or whatever, you know, or television or whatever it may be. Um, and, but, but these sounds, they created an epiphany in him that, that he's, obviously he's completely wise, so he thought, there's something that I'm attracted to this. I'm attracted to this. I'm not attracted to anything in the world, but I'm attracted to this, so what is the nature of this? I have no attraction to anything material, and, and so I'm not chasing anything. I'm completely peaceful, self-contained, but now I'm finding something outside of myself is attracting me. What could it be? Hmm? And it's blissful, unlike the attraction to material sense object, which is cause of distress and so forth. So he had this extraordinary epiphany, and then he followed the foot of the woodcutter and, and went back to his father's ashram, and there he studied the Srimad Bhagavatam. So the verse is, is, is says, why it's asked by Sutta Goswami, why did Sukadev hmm, take the time to, which is your question, to study the Bhagavatam, to get into all this, to make, to move? Where was his impetus to do this when he was complete hmm, and feeling complete, having the being in the state of the Atma rather than the Atma? attracted to the senses and attached to them and then false identity developing and all the the work that's required with that. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. I've taken, because that ego, as I said earlier, is based on taking. So it was a good question. Why did he study? And it's an itambudugunohari. So the answer is, in the verse, such is the nature of the qualities of every, that they attract the atmaramas. Even those who are fully satisfied in taking pleasure in the self, by good association, they they can have the epiphany of of the more, so to speak, that they're just at the tip of the iceberg of, and so Sukadev becomes a bhakta. Hmm? He then, um, as the narrative of the Bhagavatam goes, tells the whole story of the Bhagavatam to the Raj, to the to the emperor, who's cursed to die in seven days, and he goes to the bank of the Ganges and. And um, wants to know what the purpose of life is, and and, and how to how to deal deal with it. You know what to do at the time of death. And Sugadev tells the Bhagavatam, which answers that, and and more, which is the kind of things we we talk about. So it's a question of um, um, how will it happen? How can that happen? It can happen by by powerful uh, association. That such a person. There are other examples: the Kumaras, the the Navyagendras in the Bhagavatam. This is a repeated theme. Hmm? Um, so again, I made an example earlier. Let's compare notes. Hmm? 
So if you or, or whoever is completely complete with no impetus to do anything um, because of being complete, and I'm complete, and I'm doing all kinds of things, hmm? um, but, it, but if we compare notes, I have no attraction to anything mundane, either to you, then what are the things I'm doing? And what is that, what is that movement about? What's the nature of that movement then? Hmm? It, it must be different. It, it looks like something material com compared to a contemplative. He's out, moving, eating, whatever, you know, like there's a way to take to honor the prashadam that's not eating, you know. Anyway, that's all, it's the whole thing. So, so it's very, obviously, yes, it's, 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 uh, it's complex. It's definitely much, much more uh, nuanced and complex than Atmaram. Hmm? Unto, it, unto itself, but the fact that it exists, such a super transcendent um, completeness, if you will, that, it, that which, which is very nature of Prem, the love in Bhakti, is that it is a sense of fullness that, what is it, that, um, that, that, also, that, that feels... Um, Incomplete at the same time, it, it, but not in the negative way. It, 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 it's 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 it, yeah. It's it's uh, it's you know it's 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 a nature of uh, you know you can have peace, you can have love. You sh there should be peace in love, but even there's war in love sometimes. Uh, people fight, so but but that's so that's very peculiar. Like if I like peace, okay, I want peace, and then I see two people in love and they're fighting. I'm thinking, oh, see, I want peace. <laughs> You know, and you try to get in there and make a peace, and they, you know, and they beat you up. You know, <laughs> so there's lovers. such a thing as a lovers' quarrel. What's what the hell is that? Hmm? You know, if peace, if love is a, let's say we as nations we want peace. Okay, stop the war. We want peace. Let's make a truce, a peace. That's obviously a good thing, and it's whew, we got peace. What more could we want? Well, there is more. We want commerce. We want interaction. We want the movement, right? Mm -hmm. One thing is to stop this movement of fighting with one another and have peace. Another now is to let's trade, let's share experiences, and you come to my nation, I come to yours. So to use that analogy, there's something beyond peace we call it love, and its, it's nature is very bewildering because it could look like war at times, even. Mm -hmm. Right, lovers quarrel, but and we have that in Radha and Krishna, <laughs> but it's very, so it's uh, yeah, it's it's uh, for someone who has some Atmananda, you know, state or something. This is like what are you talking about? <laughs> or you can hear it, but so anyway, to to come to that, it requires these type of discussions <laughs> to get impetus. So appreciate the question. Shri Sri Gorada Madhavakijaya, Gorbakta Vrindakijaya. Gold Premanand. Gold